Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. But yes, Easter is fast approaching, as I'm sure many of you are aware of. And as we approach Easter, we look at the last teachings of Christ. We look at the last several weeks of his life and ministry. And naturally, all those scriptures are found in the New Testament that we focus on. However, today I'm going to be speaking on on a slightly different topic, an event that took place in the Old Testament that Easter points back to in the Passover, in Exodus chapter 12. But before we get to Exodus chapter 12, I'm just going to set the stage. In Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites have been in slavery for over a hundred years in Egypt. And if you want to see how the Israelites even got to Egypt in the first place, you can go back to Genesis starting at chapter 37, and you can read through into Exodus, and you'll see how they arrived there. But then, God reaches out to Moses. And again, this is another fascinating story that we're not going to cover today. You have the fascinating birth of Moses and his fascinating escape from all of the males of of the Hebrew males being slaughtered by the Egyptians. It's a fascinating story. And if you want to see the beginning of Moses' story, you can start reading at Exodus chapter 1 and just keep on reading. But God reaches down to Moses in a burning bush. We studied that a little bit in Bible study a few weeks ago. And God has a conversation with Moses, who is also a Hebrew, And God tells Moses that he has a plan. He's heard the cries of the suffering Hebrews in Egypt, and he's going to rescue them from that oppression. And he's asking Moses to be part of that plan. They kind of go back and forth. They have a lengthy discussion. But eventually Moses agrees to go with God's plan. And he with his brother Moses, or he with his brother Aaron, his older brother, they go to Pharaoh. And they tell Pharaoh what's about to happen. And God, through Aaron and Moses, brings nine different plagues on the land of Egypt to show his power and his might. And this actually brings us to Exodus chapter 12 this morning. And as we do here at Woodland Church, We like to show reverence to the word of God, and so I'm going to have us stand together as we read the first 13 verses of Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Verse 4, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You You may take it from the sheep or the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. 
They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Verse 9. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. Verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I'll strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I'll execute judgments. I am the Lord. Verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let's pray this morning. Dear Lord, you love us so much that you have always wanted to be with us. But this morning, I want you to speak to the people in this room. I am just a mouthpiece for what you have to say to them this morning. And so I ask that your spirit can be with everyone here and bless everyone as we listen to your word this morning. And I ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So in the previous nine plagues, God used Moses and Aaron to bring devastation and mostly terrifying judgment on the land. And in four of those nine, the Hebrews were spared. The plague of the flock, the death of livestock, the hail, and the darkness. On those four plagues, God decided to declare to Egypt, these are my people. I have chosen these people as mine. I claim them as mine. I'm going to spare them. And he was showing the land of Egypt that I, the God of the Hebrews, the one and only God, am all-powerful and mighty and not to be trifled with. So whether the Hebrews suffered or not in the plagues wasn't really up to them. God chose to declare them as his people and spare them from some of them. But in this tenth plague, the plague of the firstborns, God actually gave the Hebrews instructions for how they could escape the judgment that God is bringing on the gods of Egypt. And this plague was different from the rest. Because God actually comes out and says, this is judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the only God. And by worshiping these other gods, you're a wicked people for doing so. And so he brings judgment on the land of Egypt for this. So once again, God gave the Hebrews fairly simple instructions on how they could remove themselves from this judgment. And I simplified it to Five steps. This is a little bit oversimplified, but I wrote it down as five steps. It's not on your sheet, but if you want to make any notes, there's room on the back of your sheet as well. First, on day 10, each household, a man would take a lamb, making sure there's enough on that lamb for the entire household, and he would slaughter that lamb. Every household would do this. 
But that lamb had to be perfect. Why did that lamb have to be perfect? Without blemish, it says. Because the God that they are sacrificing this lamb to is holy, is perfect. The word holy simply means set apart. When God created all of his creation, and he created us, he is still set apart from creation because he is absolutely perfect. And therefore, when the Israelites were to make any sacrifice from here into the future, it had to be absolutely perfect and it had to meet God's impeccable standards. And that is why this lamb had to be one-year-old male without blemish. Number two, after having this lamb for four days, the entire assembly of the congregation of Israel, that's how it's worded in verse 6, the entire assembly would all together on the evening of the 14th day slaughter their lambs. They would do this as a sign of unity, that they together, as a body of Israel, were making this sacrifice to their Lord. They did it all together. Number three, right after they killed the lamb, they would spread some of the blood of the lamb on the sides and the top of the door to their house. To each household, they would do this for one very simple reason. This was the physical sign to God so that when he would bring judgment over all of Egypt and kill all the firstborns in the land, human and animal, they would be spared. Number four, they then, after spreading some blood on the door, they would roast the lamb. They would cook the lamb over a fire. And this is extremely important. For one, the Israelites were not allowed to consume the blood of any living creature. So they couldn't eat it raw, they couldn't eat it boiled for some simple reasons. When you boil the meat of an animal, it absorbs whatever is in the water that it's cooked in. Whether there's, there's impurities in the water, or if you add seasoning to the water, the meat absorbs those seasonings. No, that meat is no longer the pure state that it was. It's been changed, it's been altered. But when you cook the meat over the fire, it actually separates out of the meat certain impurities and the blood is burned away. So then when they consume the meat, they're not consuming the blood of the animal. And when they ate it, it specifically says they ate bitter herbs and unleavened bread alongside the meat. They didn't put the bitter herbs on the meat when they cooked it. They ate it alongside the meat. The meat was to remain pure. And number five, they were to eat the entire lamb. Once again, they, they selected the lamb based on the size of their household. The smaller households would combine to, with a bigger household. But they had to eat the entire lamb, for the entire lamb was a sacrifice to the Lord. But all of it had to be eaten quickly. 
It specifically says, in haste. Why? Because the Lord was coming that very night. They knew he was coming that night, but they didn't know the exact moment that the Lord was going to pass over their houses. So they had to consume this Passover lamb quickly so they would be ready for when he did come. There's obviously more to this story. We looked at the first 13 verses. If you want to continue on and read, you talk about the, it talks about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And even at the end of the chapter, it does actually come out and say that, yes, the Hebrews spread the blood on their doorposts. And when God passed over the land of Egypt, those that had put the blood over the doors, no firstborns died in those households. But in these 13 verses, there's just so much that we can connect to the Easter story. Adam and Eve had it perfect with God in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with him. He walked with them in the garden, but Adam kind of messed it up when he sinned and he broke God's perfect standards. But God has always had a plan from the very beginning to rescue us from the mess that we made. And the Father's plan to send his Son to die on the cross and then be resurrected, that points back to this event in Exodus chapter 12. And so now on your sheets, if you want to follow along, here are four ways the Passover that happened over 3,000 years ago matters today. First, let's look at the sacrifice of the lamb itself. Again, each household had to take a lamb one year old without blemish to meet God's holy standards. We covered that. But then fast forward to Christ and the New Testament. And we sang about this earlier in the very first song. Jesus came to live a perfect life. And why does this matter? God sent his only son to earth to live as a human and do what no man or woman has done, had done, or will ever do. Live a perfect human life. And so when Jesus gave himself up, when Jesus allowed the Roman soldiers to nail him to the cross, because that was God's will for him, and he only followed God's will. He was the absolute perfect sacrifice. He met God's holy standards 100%. He was the perfect lamb to sacrifice. Because he was both God and man, his death and then resurrection cancels out all sin forever for those that would simply believe in him. So on your papers, number one, the first Passover required many lambs to die, but Christ is the final sacrifice. Exodus 12 started a, a, a practice of atonement that the nation of Israel 
They would make sacrifices. They would kill animals and make sacrifices to the Lord to cover the sins that they were always making. (laughs) And those animal sacrifices, all they did was appease the wrath and judgment of God because God has perfect standards. Never once did any animal that they sacrificed restore the relationship that they had with God in the garden. Never. Yet Jesus Christ changed all of that. Hebrews 10, 17 and 18 says this, and this is actually the Holy Spirit speaking. He says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus' blood that he shed on the cross means that if we believe in him, well, it means there are no other sacrifices ever needed, period. He was the final sacrifice. Only belief in that sacrifice is all we need. And belief in Jesus Christ Number two, let's look at the blood that was spread on the doors. And this is in verse 7. Again, this blood was spread on the doors as a free pass. When the Lord would come to kill the firstborns in Egypt, any household that that the Hebrews had spread the blood on meant God would not bring this judgment upon them. But this is also important in another crucial way. As I've said before, in the previous nine plagues, God did spare them from some of those plagues. He declared them as his people when he did so. Yet in this tenth plague, when God is bringing ultimate judgment on Egypt, he is asking the Hebrews, the Israelites, to stand up and say, I belong to God the Father. I am devoted to him. And do so in a very public, visible way, by spreading the blood on the doors. God wasn't just claiming them, they were also claiming him. That they belonged to him by making this very visible act. Jesus' disciples, they claimed him. They said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. We know that you are the Son of God and we believe in you. And Jesus said to them, if you are disciples, then you need to do what I've taught you. I give you authority to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. So even after I die, to prove that you are my disciples, you need to do what I've asked you to do. You need to follow through on what I've taught you. That is how you will prove that you belong to me. So just as the Hebrews showed that they were set apart They were not like the rest of the world by spreading the blood on the doors. The disciples showed that they were set apart for him by carrying out his teaching and by spreading his love to the world around them. So number two on your papers this morning. God's people demonstrate they are set apart for him. Nothing's changed. God requires his people to be set apart for him, dedicated to him, not like the world. Third, let's look again at verse 11 this morning. 
They ate the Passover quickly. I love the descriptions here. You have the belt fastened, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. You get the image, you get the picture that they were ready for anything that was about to happen. They were ready for it. They weren't just sitting there relaxed. They ate the meal quickly and were ready for the Lord to come at any moment. During Jesus' ministry, especially as he's getting to the end of his life, he reminds the disciples that he's not long for this world. But he also told them that they needed to be ready for his return. And so in Mark 13, verses 32 to 33, Jesus says this to his disciples. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. He's referring to his return. So point number three, God wants his people to always be ready. And yes, that is a split infinitive. I'm aware of that. Just ignore it. Just roll with me. The fourth and final parallel this morning between the Passover and the events at the end of the Gospels and Easter is all about focus. The first Passover meal that they took part in, and again, they had to do it quickly, but that first Passover meal happened just before the 10th plague, the plague of the firstborns on the land of Egypt. But it set a precedent that from there forward, the people of Israel would continue to, to observe the Passover every single year. And many people around the world still observe that Passover, that Passover meal, to remember what God did for them by delivering them out of the hand of, of Egypt. Let's look at the end of chapter 12 in Exodus this morning, verses 24 through 27. Moses is passing on the instructions that he received from God. He's giving it now to the elders of Israel. Verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep his service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. It says that they should remember that they should remember this Passover even when they get to the promised land. And Moses is the one giving these instructions and he doesn't make it to the promised land. So he's passing on future instructions that, as I said, continue on to this very day minus the spreading of the blood on the doorposts for the actual Passover. Jesus took part in at least three Passovers during his ministry on earth. And probably, he and his family made the trek from Nazareth to Jerusalem every year to observe Passover. So Passover was deeply ingrained in Jesus' life. During what we refer to many times as the Last Supper, 
That's found in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. Jesus eats the Passover meal with his disciples. They finish the Passover meal. But then he establishes a new tradition. He and his disciples break bread together. And they take part in this bread. And he says, this bread is my body, which is broken for you, which I will give up for you on the cross. And then they take the cup, the wine together, and they drink that. And he says, this blood represents a new covenant. That if you believe in the blood that I shed on the cross, your sins are forgiven. Just like the Hebrews in Egypt, they sacrificed a Passover lamb. They took place in that meal for the first time before the 10th plague, and that tradition has continued on today. Jesus Christ took what we often call communion with his disciples before he even gave his life on the cross. And that tradition continues today, I would hope, in all churches. (laughs) And that we do so remembering the sacrifice our Lord made on the cross. The next slide. You might think that I passed over or forgot about this first verse. It's a very important verse. And it says, this month, the month that the Passover happens the month that this 10th plague happens, is to be the first month. The Israelites were to reorient their entire calendar around this event. This would be, this would happen on the 14th day of the very first month from there forward. The Lord's deliverance of them would be their focus. His devotion to them, what he was willing to do to rescue them, would give them their strength from there forward. So yes, they remembered the Passover. They observed the Passover every year. But they focused their entire faith upon that event and God's deliverance for them. They gained their strength from that deliverance and remembering it. So on your papers, number four, God's people regularly remember and center their faith upon God's love. And regularly remembering doesn't just have to be communion. And I didn't quite emphasize this enough, but that communion that we take place in, just as the Israelites, when they slaughtered the lambs together as a body, an assembly, We take communion together to demonstrate the unity that we have as a local body and as a universal body of Christ. We're not in this alone. We're in this together. God declared from creation that he favored us over all his other creation. And again, we had that perfect relationship with him in the garden Adam kind of wrecked it. But God has always been pursuing us. He's had a plan for us since the beginning. But here's what I'm really trying to get to this morning. Jesus Christ came to the earth as human, was born to a virgin, 
and lived a perfect human life on this earth. And again, as we sang about, the, the, the songs just were perfect this morning. Sang about, he took our punishment. God's holy standard said, you've sinned, you can't be with me unless punishment is made. Jesus Christ took our punishment on that cross. So that if we would believe in him, we too would be God's people. And we would also see that devotion every day around us that God has for us, just like he showed to the Hebrews at Passover. So yes, that first Passover should resonate with us very strongly today. And so to finish, I have three simple questions that you can write down. These are personal reflection questions as we head into the Easter season. Number one, how can I show that I belong to God? I stand up here this morning and I claim to be a child of God. I claim to be part of his family. I claim to be a disciple of Christ. But when I step out these doors, does the world know that? Is it obvious to them what I claim? The Hebrews made a pretty bold declaration, a very visible declaration by spreading the blood on the doors. What do I do in my everyday life? How can I show the world who I belong to? Boldly. And I'm standing here before you saying that I do not always do a great job of doing that. I, myself, continually need to work on that. To be proud. Number two, does my faith center on God's love and his plan for me? They re the Hebrews reoriented their entire calendar to remember the Passover The disciples, they focused their entire life by carrying out Jesus' commands to love those around us, love those around them. Is that the center of my faith? Do I want to carry out Jesus' teachings to love your neighbor? Do I want to spread his love to the Marquette community, to Marquette County, to anywhere I go? Is that the center and the focus of my faith? And do I remember, do I take part in communion to remind me of what Christ did for me? What God did for me and therefore give me strength to go out and follow through on his commands? And then finally, number three, am I ready for Jesus to return? And I'm not talking about stocking up on canned goods or or uh, getting water set aside. I'm talking about spiritually, am I ready for his return? Have I been bringing others to Christ? Have I been desperate for others to become part of that family that I belong to because I don't want to see them be lost? When he returns, I should be glad of his return and joyful of his return to be with him. And I hope that I've done everything to be a witness and a light to the world around me before he does. God's plan, which started at creation, 
was emphatically restated at Passover and is eternally cemented in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is simple. It's for us to be with him and to be his people. He wants all of us to be his people, part of his family. If you want to be a part of God's family this morning and you don't know what that looks like, you don't know how to do that, but you realize that you're lost right now and that there's a Father who loves you and a Savior who died for you and a Holy Spirit that will live in you and give you strength and power. If you want to be part of that family, you can talk with Pastor Jeff this morning or myself. We'd love to talk with you and we'd love to pray with you. God has never left us. He's never failed us. And he will always love us. I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward as I'm praying this morning. And we're going to sing King of Kings. Let's bow our heads in in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you that from creation you have shown your love to us and that no matter what we do, you are always reaching out to us so that we can be with you. And this morning, I thank you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross this morning for us. And I ask that you can bless each and every one of us as we live for you in our everyday lives. But we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for being the God that you are. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.